unto you also, you lawyers, for you laid men with burdens grievous to be born, and you yourselves touch not the burdens which one of your, with one of your fingers. Woe unto you, for you build the sepulchres of the prophets, and your fathers killed them. Truly, you bear witness that you allow the deeds of your fathers, for they indeed killed them, and you build their sepulchres. Therefore also said the wisdom of God, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they shall slay and persecute, that the blood of all the prophets which was shed from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation. From the blood of Abel even unto the blood of Zechariah, which perished between the altar and the temple, verily I say unto you, it shall be required of this generation. Verse 52, the last of six woes. Woe unto you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You entered not in yourselves, and them that were entering in you hindered. And as he said these things unto them, the scribes and the Pharisees began to urge him vehemently and to provoke him to speak of many things, laying wait for him and seeking to catch something out of his mouth that they might accuse him. Isn't it ironic that they're, they're laying wait to catch something coming out of his mouth and he just spilled a whole bag of stuff for them to consider. Amen. Now, I'm going to talk to you tonight about the responsibility of privilege. You may be seated. And I will say again, uh, buckle your seatbelt because we're in for a journey. I have not come tonight to be hard or mean or harsh. Perhaps some of the things that I might say could be interpreted in that way, but I've not come with that intent. And I have not come to be disrespectful of anyone here tonight, nor have I come to be rude or crass or uh, hypocritical or malicious. And I certainly did not come tonight with an axe to grind. I have no ulterior motives other than God began to talk to me, and when God began to talk to me about this portion of Scripture, I've never really given it due consideration. And so I want to share it with you. Because the question that needs to be answered is, are the issues that Jesus addressed here in this passage, were they limited only to a time past? Were they just a problem of a long time ago? Were they just a problem of these particular men? Or does the Pharisee spirit still live? I want to be careful because I certainly don't want to accuse anyone here of being a Pharisee. So in my remarks tonight, I hope that you will understand I am not pointing a finger. I am asking a question. 
And the question is, does that spirit yet survive? And I am sure that if I were to call you a hypocrite tonight, you would probably resent that. So I have not come to call you a hypocrite. And I've not come to say that anybody in this room tonight is hypocritical. I am simply posing a question to you. Does the spirit of the Pharisee and the scribe and the lawyer, does it still exist within the confines of the church? Because there are issues uh, at stake here that I believe are very enlightening. You see, the Pharisees withstood Jesus at every turn. And they were constantly critical of his work and his ministry. And it was to these men, these Pharisees, these religious zealots, that Jesus had his harshest words. And this is not the only time that they were spoken to in such rude language or in such bold terms. He did this more than one time and he was not alone in that. John the Baptist called them a generation of vipers. Pretty strong language and pretty tough to take. So why the scathing remarks and why the rebuke? Was it just a natural antagonism between Jesus and this particular group as so many times uh, it is thought that, you know, the preacher just has an agenda and everybody that doesn't buy into his agenda, he tries to torpedo them or he, he's going to kill them or he's going to tear them down. Was it some kind of personal prejudice that Jesus housed within himself as a man that these people just set off. You know, there are some people that you can get around as much as you try, they just have the ability of setting you off. And could it be that these men, these religious men, were of that nature? Or could it be that there was something so destructive in their actions that Jesus wanted everybody to see the danger of what this kind of life would produce and did produce and how it would affect the purposes of God for, what, uh, for, for which God had brought men into this world to fulfill. So was there something deeper than just a personal antagonism or was there something more than than just a conflict of personalities. And I say that there was. There was something so intrinsically wrong about their spirit and about their actions that Jesus was bold enough to confront those things so that man would know that there is a danger in entertaining or housing or associating with that kind of spirit because it is antithesis to my purpose. 
and instead of building up, it is actually tearing down. Now it seems strange that such strong words would come from such religious or towards such religious men because the root of the Pharisee movement came from a great cause. When Antiochus Epiphanes had come into power and the Jewish nation was under his control, he took it upon himself to compromise the, the, the principles upon which the Jewish religious life was based. And so he mingled paganism with the Jewish spiritual life and made it okay. So it was a time of great compromise and there was a, 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 a mixture of spiritual things. There was much like what we are dealing with today, this self-help genre of preaching that somehow pulls the gospel in and tries to make one out of things that really when you go to the core and the root of them are really antagonistic to one another. But such was the time and out of that time, out of that area of compromise and out of that spirit of, of spiritual desecration, these men rose up as preservers of the covenant of God with his people. They were, as their name indicates, separated. They were, were, they were different than the other people and they were preservers of God's law in the midst of an evil generation and they stood against everything that Antiochus represented. They represented a separation from that. And so they began with a great purpose. They began with the desire to prescribe and to preserve what the scribes would write and they were devoted to that preservation. But Obviously, somewhere along the line, something began to go wrong. Because now we are generations past that event, and now Jesus is speaking to these men in the harshest of, time, of, of tones, and in a time when uh, they, they probably didn't want the light shown upon them, he turned a light on because this worthy cause had lost its luster and they had become of another spirit. They were not of that original inspiration and there was a void in their life and they were not even aware of the void. And so Jesus withstood them and he exposed them and he did this in a very bold and deliberate way. And so because of that, the term Pharisee now brings with it a certain contempt. When we call somebody a Pharisee, we are in essence calling them a hypocrite because you do not really believe or represent what you say you believe or you represent. And we often hear that name used without really stopping to think 
What makes a Pharisee a Pharisee? All right, you still with me? Don't go to sleep on me yet. All right. What makes a Pharisee a Pharisee? What was it about these men that Jesus opposed so severely? Was it just their personality? Was it their, uh, was it their demeanor? Or were there things beyond that? They were no doubt sincere in their efforts, but something was wrong. And so he called them uh, uh, Pharisees, not in a kind way, but in a very uh, cutting way. And he placed six woes upon them in the passage in which we read from tonight. And he said, something has gone wrong. And I believe personally that that spirit is still alive. I believe that the spirit of the Pharisee and the scribe is still sometimes seen among us. And it still shows itself in the church even in this century of time. And I believe that we still wrestle with the core spirits that brought those men down and caused them to lose their divine purpose. And though uh, we try to uh, just designate that as something that happened yesterday and that was from another generation, the reality is the spirit of that Pharisee is still alive. And these verses, in fact, confirm that. Because these verses describe the sins of the religious life. Maybe you haven't looked at it in that term, but they in fact outline the sins of the religious life. Things that all of us are disposed to do or become. And they are areas of failure which are possible for us to be a part of and commit even today. They in fact detail aspects of the Christian life that we must guard against and we must deal with in our own hearts. And the things that we're going to deal with here tonight are not exclusive to that time, but they are a very uh, significant part of the church world in some places even today. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go with me and let's go back through these woes and let's look at them again. But I want you to look at them in this light. I want you to understand that there is a principle behind the language that Jesus used. That there is an issue at the root of his conversation. That there is something he is trying to get them to see so that they can correct it and help them discover their failures by the language that he used. And to understand that, you need to go with me right now and let's look again at the pronouncements that were made by him and let's ask ourselves, what is really the sin behind this statement? What is the issue that is at the root, and I'm going to go back to the Bible, so get your Bible back out. 
What is the root of Jesus saying in verse 42? But woe unto you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs and pass over judgment and the love of God. These ought you to have done and not to leave the other undone. So what is it that Jesus is trying to highlight or identify here about this particular aspect of spiritual life. And I believe it is this, that these men, listen to me, had become bookkeepers with loopholes. Oh, they kept books all right. The only problem was they ignored what they didn't want to pay attention to. The things that they didn't want anybody bothering them with, they found a way to get around. Now listen to me. You have to understand that there were only ten commandments, but by the time the scribes and Pharisees got through with them, there were hundreds and hundreds of laws that had been established off of these ten commandments. One of the commandments, and I'm just going to give you a couple of illustrations, but one of the commandments of the law was that you could not work on the Sabbath, and walking was considered work. So somehow they had to put a parameter around, well, what's work and what's not work. So they determined that a thousand yards was the extent that a person could walk on the Sabbath without breaking the law. A thousand yards, that meant... On the Sabbath, you had to stay pretty close to home. Until one day, somebody is looking out the front door of their house and realize, you know what, I live in a neighborhood. I wonder how this law would apply if I moved the boundaries. And so this is what happened. They determined that if you pulled a string across the end of the street where you lived, then you could start at that point, not your house, and go your thousand yards, and you had not broken the law. You were not supposed to labor on the Sabbath, and so cooking food was that was work. But they determined that if you leave two meals at a particular place, if you have two meals at a particular place, that you could call that home. Even though you lived at 5110 Sandy Meadow, if you happen to be at 1655 FM 28 tonight and you've got two meals here, then you can go your thousand yards from here, not from home. Are you with me? You understand how they began to take that law and they began to massage it to meet and fit what they wanted it to say to them. You tell me that spirit is not alive in the world in which we live right now, where people are trying to take the Word of God and they keep massaging it and working it and reworking it and restating it so it comes out to say what they wanted to say rather than what it really says because if they did what it really said, they wouldn't be doing what they're doing right now. 
So the spirit that Jesus opposed was not a man. It was the spirit behind a man that had a book, but that book had loopholes. He had ways of getting around the law. He had ways of getting around the stress. They stressed detail, but just not all of them. Only the ones they wanted to. They majored on things that were important to them, but they didn't major on everything. They were hard on one thing while ignoring or sometimes even overlooking something of equal or greater significance. It is possible in the spiritual life to get all worked up over things that matter, but they don't matter as much as other things and not even do the things that really matter. And the emphasis of of these Pharisees was on details that they wanted to emphasize and not the entire Word of God. Are you still with me? You see, we can get to the place at times where we use our lips to criticize, but are not the least disturbed about the absence of prayer from those lips. We can use our mouth to be critical and mean as a junkyard dog and yet we can say such words of peace and comfort to others if we so choose. It is possible to dress the part but have a unholy attitude and spirit. How often do we get caught up in a detail and lose sight of the greater good? It is possible for me to go to seed on something and lose sight of the divine purpose behind it all. They tell me that in Russia, when the church was under the most severe persecution from communism, the liturgical leaders of the church were debating the color of something that went around their neck rather than how to save the people that were being persecuted outside their walls. You see what I'm saying? The thing that Jesus despised were people that had books with loopholes in them. You have one set of rules that you apply to one person you have another set of rules that you apply to another person. Oh, let me say it this way. You have one set of rules that applies to everybody here, and you have another set of rules that applies to this guy right here. Jesus didn't say, don't be concerned about the details. He said, just don't forget that there's some things that are far weightier than mint and cumin and some of these other things that you're going to seed over and you forgot about the love of God. Oh my word. I don't know that I had ever paid that close of attention to what Jesus said, but he said you have overlooked the love of God. 
You know what that tells me? That tells me they must have become awfully mean-spirited people because everybody that I know that's ever lost sight of the love of God become the most condescending, hard-nosed, mean-spirited people on the face of the earth. Amen. We have no patience with people. We overlook their burdens that they carry. Just because I think something doesn't mean I need to say it. Amen. But I need to be aware that I, I need a set of balances that are equal and fair at all times. I need to take the whole book, not just the part of it that I want. I think I preached to you not too many months ago about Jefferson's Bible. But they tell me that Thomas Jefferson wanted to believe and he wanted to be a man of faith, but he just could not, he could not believe the miracles that Jesus performed. So he went through his Bible and he clipped out every section of the New Testament that had anything to do with a miracle. And then he went on to the books of the New Testament, the, the Gospels, and he took out of those anything that insinuated something contradictory to his own philosophy about life. Listen to me, folks. A Jefferson Bible won't get you to heaven. Only the whole book. The entire story. And you've got to believe it and read it and you've got to accept it and not try to find a way to get around it. Just live it. Just do it. Just believe it and accept it and watch that work produce a harvest in your life. Amen. So that's the first thing that he was aggravated about. They had books. They were bookkeepers with loopholes. The second thing is found in verse 30, 43. He said, Woe unto you Pharisees, for you love the uppermost seats in the synagogues and greetings in the markets. The second spirit that he challenged was this attitude that it's all about me. It's all about me. Say that with me. It's all about me. The sin of a selfish mindset. They think that church is all about them. They think that life is all about them. They think that the church is here for their comfort, their wants, their needs, their problems. They love the idea of a team, but they don't know how to play as a team. And Jesus, he came against that spirit in the strongest of ways. They like prominence and position. They like church to be about me. Bless me. Help me. Encourage me. Strengthen me. They love service as long as they don't have to give it. They love the idea of serving as long as it's somebody else doing it to them. 
Oh, I told you you better get your crash helmet on tonight. There are some people that feel they have the right to say things because they've been there longer than anybody else and they have a right to say it when nobody else does. Nobody has the right to say anything that hurts the body of Christ. I don't care if you've been here six months or 60 years. Nobody has the right to say anything that damages and hurts the body of Christ. I don't care if you talk in tongues two hours a day and levitate in the spirit when you pray. Only people like this show up when their number is called. They're sunshine cowboys that only show up for the show. And they can only worship when their song is being played when their kind of sermon is being preached, when their kind of issue is being addressed, that's the only time they can get with the preacher. But when the preacher gets too close to where they live, my Lord, they get this sour look on their face. They say, who in the world do you think he is anyway? Just up there telling everybody what to do. I'm not up here trying to tell anybody what to do. I'm just trying to identify some things that Jesus said you don't need in your life and they are counterproductive to my purpose. You can say that you are working for me, but I'm telling you that this kind of spirit is working against. They are the people, this, this mentality that he's dealing with, they are the people that guard their territory. You know, they guard that place on the pew. They guard that, oh my God, I'm not going to meddle that. They guard that parking spot out there. They wouldn't dare go park in the backside of the parking lot. That's for somebody else. Bless God, my money, my tithe, my offering paid for this. Uh, I'm going to sit right here. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't feel like this is your church, but I'm here to tell you that that self-centered mentality that church is about me was the second woe that Jesus placed on these men saying, you know what, that is doing more to destroy my divine purpose than anything else that the sinners in this world are doing. I want to say that again. What they were doing was more damage than every prostitute that walked the streets of Jerusalem and every drunkard that lay in the alleys of Jerusalem, and every immoral person that walked the face of the earth, what they were doing to the cause of Christ was more destructive. Amen. I better move on. Somebody say move on, Brother Hughes. Some feel that it is their calling to point out shortcomings. You see, the Pharisee's mind is concerned with position, but not with condition. I'll leave you with that one. Amen. Let's go to the third thing. You're going to go to sleep on me if I don't hurry up. 
Verse 44. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you are as graves which appear not. People don't even know there's a grave. And according to the law, if you walked over a grave, that made you unclean until you came and presented yourself for cleansing again. So these people were contaminated by a spirit that they were not even aware was there. Listen to me. It is possible for an individual to become a toxic waste dump so that everybody that comes in contact with them becomes poisoned by what's within them. Because the issue was, Jesus said, on the surface, the grass is green, the flowers are budding, the birds are singing, and the brook is flowing. But underneath the surface, he said there is nothing but corruption and vileness and crookedness. And he said, you men, you who are covering all of this stuff up, and you're good at subterfuge, and you're, you're great at hiding things and covering things up. He said, what you are doing is toxic to that simple person who comes believing me and trusting me and looking to me. When they come by you, they're affected by your poisonous spirit, and they don't even know how they got affected by it. Amen. Because of what is within them, they were toxic to those who came in contact with them. And I'm going to tell you, that one hurt so bad that a lawyer spoke up and said, Ooh, oh, you're getting nasty now. I think he meant for it to sting. Because when people walk through those doors, they come in here looking at us. We're the ones that's supposed to have our act together. We're not supposed to have axes to grind and attitudes at one another and spirits that are ruffled up all the time and somebody on edge and somebody afraid to say something or do something because they're going to get their head snapped off. When people come walking through their door, they're looking for answers. They're looking for healing. They're looking for help. And they need to be able to find it in this building. They don't need to come and sit down beside me and because of what I've got hidden inside of me, me poison them toward God and the work of God and the kingdom of God because I've got internal issues that I've never dealt with. I've got poison in me that I've never brought to an altar and said, God, I need you to cleanse me of this. I don't want this in my life anymore. I don't want to be bitter. I don't want to be mean. I don't want to be hateful. And so there was this toxic spirit condoning things in their own lives that they never should have, giving themselves liberty that they did not give others. But all the while, those issues were hidden. They were covered. But they were doing their work. I read the other day, 
a church in Dallas, a mega church in Dallas, has had an outbreak of an outbreak of the measles in their church. And it came from one person who had gone on a missions trip to another country, contacted measles, didn't know it, came back, sat down on the pew where they'd always sat down on, and the next thing you know, they got 28 cases of the measles, and they're making public announcements and sending out phone tree messages on a daily basis, go get your shots, go get checked, because we have an epidemic in our church of measles. Nobody even knew they had it. You know what? Nobody knows what's on the inside of me. And I have to make sure that I keep that inside clean because that inside has a way of affecting other people. And do you know that I have seen some good, honest, sincere people become so disillusioned with church by people that have been around church all their life because they got all kind of baggage of bitterness and all this angst from years gone by and stuff they will never let die and stuff they'll never forgive. And let, Although they want you to forgive them everything, they're not forgiving nothing. They keep all that, they keep dragging it all up and they, they, they get close to those people and then they invite them over to their home and next thing you know they're spilling their guts about something that happened 30 years ago. And the fact is the person that did that 30 years ago is not even the same person today they were 30 years ago. But we've poisoned somebody because of what's on the inside. We better be careful, church, of what's on the inside of us and make sure that it is the pure love of God that works in us at all times. That when people come through our doors, they feel the love of God and they are nourished by that love. And somebody said, Amen. We don't need this place to be a toxic waste dump. Folks, I know there's a, bad, a lot of bad things that happen around the church. There's a lot of bad things that happen everywhere. But this is a healing place. Amen. You know what? There's some people that are so warped that they think they get away with it because nobody ever knows it. And that's what these Pharisees said. Because nobody knew what they were doing at home on the internet. Nobody knew what they were doing at home with their movie watching or their TV watching or whatever they were. Nobody knew what they were doing when they were driving around town by themselves at night. And because nobody knew about it, if you don't get caught, what goes on in Vegas, stays in Vegas. Yeah, that's the attitude. I need those glasses, Brother George. I'm gonna, they may not think I do, but I'm going to need some more. Hey, listen, folks. There is, a, there is a danger of that kind of toxic spirit surfacing even in our day. And I'm going to move on. Verse number 46. And he said unto them, Woe! Unto you also, you lawyers, for you have laid men with burdens grievous to be borne, and you yourselves touch not the burdens with one of your fingers. This is what the Lord spoke to me. He said, there are people and there is a spirit that manifests itself in the church at times that loves to load, but it never lifts. 
It can pile on burdens. It can pile on responsibilities. It can pile on all the don'ts and all the do nots. But it never offers a hand to lift them up. And that's what they had done. They laid burdens on men that they themselves wouldn't carry. They laid burdens on people that they themselves wouldn't even raise a finger to, to, to make an effort toward. They were holding people to a higher standard than themselves and always seeing what needs to be done but never doing it themselves. <clears throat> wow. I want to ask you a question. Is preaching on prayer or praying the more important part? There's a lot of preachers around the church. We preach to people all the time about, but what about doing it? Amen. They were, they were guilty. I'm, this is what you're going to write down. They're guilty of, of not practicing what they preach. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hurry. We we tell others that they must forgive, while we ourselves, we have to have it jackhammered out of us. God has to beat us down with a sledgehammer before we're ever gonna let go, and then we only let go one thing at a time. Yeah, we tell others that they must put it behind them. And there are people that are swole up on a church pew right now all over this town that are swole up because they won't put something behind them. They're mad at the preacher. They're mad at the church. They're mad at somebody. But they don't want anybody to be mad at them. We tell others that they must be obedient to the will of God. And then we find ways to circumvent obeying God. Number 5, verse 47. Woe unto you, for you build the sepulchres of the prophets, and your fathers kill them. And he goes on to say, you're of the same spirit of your fathers. Prophet killers. Prophet killers. They were perpetrators of the poison of past generation. They claimed connection to the good old days, and they were crusaders of the past, but they couldn't stand the preaching of the past. You know what I've heard people say? Oh, Brother Hughes, we used to have revival back then. Man, the preacher back. You know what the truth is? If, if Verbal Bean were to resurrect himself tonight and come and stand in this pulpit and preach like he preached back then, I promise you the church would be empty the next service. I ain't going to have nobody talk to me like that. I ain't, ain't going to no church and they preach to me like that. We couldn't handle the prophets of yesterday. We couldn't handle a John the Baptist if he walked in. I'm sorry, folks. I'm just telling you, we're too soft. You say, Brother Hughes, you're hurting my feelings. You know what, it hurt my feelings too when God was talking to me today. But I'm telling you, the fact is, we like to talk about the good old days. And these men claim to be preservers of the good old days. But in fact, they were prophet killers. 
they were just as guilty of killing the message and the messenger that was sent to them as their forefathers had been. They were guilty of lip service. But if the prophet were alive today, they would squirm under his rebuke and they wouldn't come back. You know what I've had guys tell me? He said, you know, I have this certain evangelist come and preach for us. And he said, I have some people that won't show up until he leaves. Because he just gets too close to where they live. <clears throat> tell me that spirit's not alive. I hope it's not alive. My Lord. Woo. I, 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 I better hurry. I, 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 need to, I need to close. Number six. Number, verse number 52. He said, Woe unto you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge, and you have entered not in yourselves, and them that were entering, you hindered. I call these the door lockers. The door lockers. Not door openers. They are those who are not going to move and they're going to do their best to hinder anybody that tries to move. Oh, the hindering spirit that shows up in church is just, oh, they won't move, but they won't let anybody else move. They aren't going to do it, but they're going to create all kind of havoc if somebody else tries to do it. Somebody new comes along, and they'll do their best to sabotage that new person's involvement in the church because they're afraid somebody might take their place. Mm. Mm. Tell me I'm not preaching enough. You have a responsibility to do something with what you have been given, but you don't do it, and neither will you let anybody else do it. There are people that aren't going to do anything until someone else starts to do something, and then they're going to jump up and try to create all kind of chaos and get in the middle of it. They're going to hinder it by criticism they're going to hinder it by murmuring. Who, 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 who do they think? Did Brother Hughes give them permission? Did the preacher say they could do this? Tell me. Tell me we're not dealing with the same kind of pharisaical spirit in this hour in which we live. I wonder how many people have been hindered by my life rather than encouraged I don't like to think about that but I have to I have to look at myself at times and wonder am I helping or am I hindering we love to sing I'm in the way <laughs> and they are <laughs> right smack dab in the middle of the way I know some guys that have had to spend their entire ministry in a particular area tiptoeing around a certain group of entitlement because of, 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 
of ownership issues. I wonder how many people have I put off because I have not shown them the spirit of Christ. Or how many people have I attracted because that spirit has been manifest in my life. God help me tonight to not be a hinderer. And to not be guilty of locking doors or closing doors or standing in the way of progress. Even when it's not my idea. Amen. Even when it's not my baby, I can still promote it. I can still encourage people. I will be involved even though I'm not the one who came up with the idea. Oh, yes. Yes. He said, you won't go in and you hinder anybody that tries to get in. Have you ever been around somebody that when the new pro, just, let's just take, I, I know I'm getting very dangerously on thin ice and I know I've been there for a long time and I've been here before. So, and I've fallen through a few times, but you know, take the, like connecting life. How many times have you seen an effort like that? That's, that, that's for one purpose, and that's to help push our church forward and promote our church. How many times have you seen people stand over on the sideline and say, well, I just want to I, I wait and see if it works? Or, well, well, you know, it's not a bad idea, but... Am I meddling tonight? I'm, I'm telling you, church... I did not come here with an agenda. I didn't, I haven't been waiting all week to bombard you. I haven't been loading up with torpedoes. I, I haven't been putting all the nukes together so I could bomb this place. I came in here tonight with as pure a heart as I know how to come. I'm just saying that I'm afraid that what Jesus confronted back there still shows itself every once in a while in the church and we need to be aware of it and when we see it, we need to put it down and put it where it belongs. It doesn't belong in this church. It's not going to be a part of this family. We're not going to be identified by that kind of spirit. Let's stand together. My Lord, I've already gone way too long. They'll have to do that two parts on the internet. It's way too long to even do on the internet. Just the privileges of responsibility. Unto whom much is given, much is required. You and I are custodians of the greatest gift and the most blessed thing that's ever come to humanity. That's the spirit of the living God. And we're the only Jesus that anybody in this world probably ever going to see until that world. We're the only contact that some of them have with the reality of what this book and the principles of this book can do for their life. We're the only proof that they have that this works in spite of what Time Magazine or Newsweek Magazine or all the philosophers or Hollywood says about this book. We're the only proof that it still works. Let's make sure that we give them a foolproof. We give them an unadulterated word. Amen. Let's make sure that 
what is presented here at Greater Life is not about us. It's not about who we are. It's not about my agenda or your agenda. It's about His purpose and how our ideas and our philosophies can come together to further the cause of Jesus Christ. That's what we're here for. We're not here to get our little book out and say, well, yeah, you know what? I've been watching. I've been you, you're not measuring up. You know what? None of us measure up. None of us are where we need to be all the time. None of us are what we are. What we need to do is learn how to forgive and learn how to accept the fact that we're all human and we are all trying to do one thing and that's live for God serve him, make him pleased with our service and help somebody else along the way. Reach over and take somebody by the hand. Oh, hallelujah. Let's pray together right now. Lord, I love you tonight. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the word that cuts two ways. It cuts coming and going. It dissects down to the very thought and intent of the heart. I want to thank you, God, tonight that that word is true, that that word is pure. And I pray you will bless today. In Jesus' name, help me to live the way you want me to live. Help me to be what you want me to be. God, help me. Help me tonight to be the kind of example that you want. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, yes, Lord. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. I'm going to close with this and I'm going to let you go, but please listen to me. I've not spoken anything tonight to put you or anybody else down, myself included, but to make you aware of what we need to work on. And if there's an area where we're coming short, if there's something that I said tonight that kind of made your bristle a little bit, good, good possibility you might need to go to the closet Good possibility you, I don't know if I believe all this. It's a good possibility you might need to talk to God a little further about that. That's all I'm asking you to do. So that we can walk in the Spirit as well as being born of the Spirit. That we might bear the fruit of the Spirit. Because our world needs that right now. Amen. God bless you. Turn to somebody and say you have a privilege that comes with great responsibility. Amen. Amen.